Welcome, everyone, to the new 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories podcast. Here you'll find a collection of Sherlock Holmes adventures, as well as the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stories. Some from our archives at 1001 Classic Short Stories and 1001 Stories for the Road, and some newly produced, all here for your entertainment. Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes, and Dr. Watson. Murder, mystery, and intrigue at the turn of the century. Welcome to the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. My name is Ben Wright. Sherlock Holmes, the most brilliant mind in crime detection, is without peer. He has more than stood the test of time. He has become an institution, a myth, the best of the best. But he was deeply human. He seemed a man possessed focusing all his energies on crime detection. Yet he could be humbled by his own mistakes and was deeply attached to his friendship with Dr. Watson. He distrusted women, and yet spoke glowingly of Maud Bellamy as a most remarkable woman. And of Irene Adler, she was to him the woman. A man of almost manic depressive nature, he could be brilliant beyond belief and yet turned quickly to cocaine when his depression reached deeply into his inner being. With an almost photographic memory, he could recall some small detail in a long-forgotten unsolved case and then use it to solve one on which he was presently working. Although he lived and worked in the bustling city of London, Holmes loved nature. Witness a remark he made in the story The Naval Treaty. Our highest assurance of the goodness of providence seems to me to rest in the flowers. Could this be the foreshadowing upon retiring of his desire to become a beekeeper on a small farm in the Sussex Downs? Although Holmes did not cultivate friendships, with the major exception of Watson, he did have some friends, at least Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher, the writers of The Out-of-Date Murder would like us to think so. They enjoyed embellishing the original Holmes stories and adding information to the canon that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle never touched upon. Listen carefully to the end of this exciting adventure where the story reveals the exact kind of payment Holmes accepts for solving this case. It's a delightful addition to the canon, totally imagined by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher. And here they are now, Basil Rathbone as Sherlock Holmes and Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson in The Out-of-Date Murder. This episode from the life of Sherlock Holmes will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting story about his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And we'd also like to tell you something you really ought to know. The fact that the one sure way to make good food taste better is to try that good food together with a glass of good Petri wine. Did you ever try Petri wine with dinner? No kidding, that's one bandwagon you sure want to hop on. 
Take, for instance, a deep red, hearty, Petri California Burgundy. Wait till you taste that Petri Burgundy with, let's say, a delicious old-fashioned beef stew. Or maybe try a glass with spaghetti. I'm telling you, when you add the luscious flavor of that Petri Burgundy to the flavor of your favorite foods, you're really living. You're finding out for the first time what good eating really means, on the level. So better keep a bottle of that Petri Burgundy right on the dining room table. And never forget, the best friend a good meal ever had is a glass of Petri wine. And now for our weekly visit with the good Dr. Watson. May I come in, Doctor? No, 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 Mr. Bartell. You know me better than that. Of course you can come in. I'm expecting you. I always look forward to these Monday evenings together, you know. <laughs> me too, Doctor. In fact, I always say this is the one doctor's appointment that never scares me. Oh, that's very nice of you, my boy. Draw up your chair and make yourself comfortable. Thanks. And uh, what prescription do you have in mind for us tonight, Doctor? Well, now, let me see. Take one measure of subterranean peril... One of aristocratic lady in distress, a sprinkling of assorted villains, a corpse or two, and a little more than a dash of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Shake the mixture well, and you have the case of the out-of-date murder. Well, how did the adventure begin, Doctor? Exactly enough. It was in September of 1900. I remember that Holmes and I went to Eastbourne for a much-needed rest. The first couple of days we spent in soothing idleness. On the morning of the third day, Holmes, a dash of colour back in his cheek and a hint of the old sparkle in his eye, suggested that he should go and call on his good friend Evan Whitnell, curator of a nearby museum. And so, just after lunch on that September day, found the two of us talking to Professor Evan Whitnell in his private office at the museum. It only seems yesterday Holmes... Whitnell, your recent discoveries in this part of England have made you world famous instead of just nationally famous. My congratulations. Uh, Professor, I do wish you'd tell me uh, about your discoveries. Well, with pleasure, Dr. Watson. Uh, uh, less than two months ago, I was excavating on the downlands in this neighborhood when I was fortunate enough to discover a number of underground caves. Uh, caves saturated with a heavy deposit of lime uh, that gave clear evidence of having the property of rapidly mummifying any flesh, human or animal, uh, deposited in them. Gracious me, that's interesting. And what treasures have you unearthed, Professor? Well, a number of mummified specimens of animals clearly belonging to bygone eras. My prized specimen is the body of a large wolfhound. Uh, the inscription on its collar identified the animal as be having belonged to some local squire in the year 1748. Amazing. I didn't know that limestone had such qualities of preservation. Uh, come in, come in. Uh, yes, Alan, what is it? It's Lady Clavering, Professor. She asked me to tell you that she was in the museum. Oh, yes, 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 sir. Uh, show her up here, will you, Alan? Very good, sir. Yes, sir. I, I'm most anxious for you both to meet her. And she, in turn, is even more anxious to meet you. Now, I dined with her last night, and when I told her that you were coming here today, she insisted on meeting you. Oh, Whitnell, you scoundrel, with a twinkle in your eye. I suspect that Lady Clavering is here to consult me in my professional capacity, and that you engineer the meeting. <laughs> well, uh, perhaps I might have dropped a hint. No, no, I warn you, Professor Holmes can't become involved with another case. He's completely run down. Well, don't worry, Doctor. All that Lady Clavering requires is a little advice. Advice? Oh, well, that's a different matter altogether. Yes, I well, I knew you wouldn't mind, Holmes. Ah, 
Helena, my dear, there you are. Uh, come along in. Uh, thank you, uh, Alan. Allow me to introduce Lady Clavering, uh, Mr. Sherlock Holmes and uh, Dr. Watson. How do you How are you, gentlemen? Now, uh, here you are, my dear. Sit down here. And I may as well tell you, Helena, that our little plot has already been discovered. Oh, dear. And I was just getting ready to exert all my feminine wiles in an attempt to persuade you to help me, Mr. Holmes. Oh, I'm certain that he found you utterly irresistible, my dear Lady Clavering. You flatter me, Doctor. <laughs> no, no, I, I mean it. The professor tells me that you're in need of a little advice, Lady Clavering. Yes, Mr. Holmes. I'll put my question simply. Five years ago, my husband, Sir George Clavering, left me. Left you? Gracious me, how stupid of him. I haven't seen or heard tell of him since. I now wish to remarry. But, of course, I couldn't do that without having my husband declared legally dead. My dear Lady Clavering, I can't help feeling that a lawyer is the proper man to consult, not a detective. Uh, perhaps you're suggesting that there was foul play in connection with your husband's disappearance. Oh, no, Dr. Watson. The Claverings are a strange family, self-willed and headstrong. George and I were not happy together. I think he disappeared deliberately. You reported his disappearance to the police, of course. Oh, yes, Mr. Holmes. But they've never been able to trace him. Uh, this kind of thing has happened in the family before, Holmes. Uh, tell them about Sir Nigel, Helena. Well, he was one of my husband's ancestors. He walked out one day in 1777 and was never seen again. Extraordinary family. Always disappearing. George mm -hmm. knew of the legend. And he often threatened to do the same thing himself. But your problem, Lady Clavering, is not that of your husband's fate, but rather of your own freedom. Yes, Mr. Holmes. Well, I'm afraid my advice can be of little consolation to you. The law has specified a number of years that must elapse before anyone disappearing can be declared legally dead. I would suggest that you possess your soul in patience until that period has elapsed. Oh, dear. And I was hoping you'd be able to think of some terribly clever way of getting round the law, Mr. Holmes. Uh, Lady Clavering, uh, sometimes perhaps my methods may be unorthodox, but I assure you that getting around the law, as you put it, is a procedure I do not indulge in. Oh, dear me, now I've offended you, Mr. Holmes, and it's the last thing on earth I meant to do, I assure my you. My friend's a little touchy about matters concerning his professional honour, you know, Lady Clavering. Oh, oh, nonsense, my dear Watson. I'm not touchy and I'm not offended. And now, may I suggest we all examine the professor's latest treasures? And after that, perhaps, he'll take us for a stroll on the downs. I'm most anxious to examine those lime pits of his. The uh, lime pits are about a mile from here. It's a... Nice walk across the cliff tops. Well, I'm sorry Lady Clavering didn't want to come with us. A charming woman, even though she did rub you up the wrong way. A beautiful woman, Watson, but I must confess her charm eludes me. Her lack of concern about her husband's fate seemed completely unnatural. Yeah, not if you'd known her husband, Sir George Clavering. He was a tyrant and a bully, both in his home life and in the village. Hello? Who's this coming towards us? It's uh, Timmy. Daft Timmy, they call him in these parts... He isn't quite right in the head, poor fellow, but he's perfectly harmless. Has uh, two passions in life, birds and bonfires. Hello, Timmy. I've got something beautiful to show you. Oh, it's so beautiful. Well, what is it, Timmy? Look, it's in my cap. See? Oh, isn't it lovely? It's a robin's egg. I found it when I was bird nesting. Did you ever see such a blue egg? It's a beauty, Timmy. Where did you find it, my boy? Down by the lime pits. Oh, I'm going to build a lovely fire on the downs tonight. I'll let you come and watch it 
If you give me a shilling. Now, you be careful, Timmy, or you'll be in trouble again. Timmy doesn't get in trouble anymore now. Not since he had Sir George carried away. Sir George Travering used to whip Timmy when he found him on the land. Uh, Timmy, tell me, how did you have uh, Sir George, uh, as you put it, uh, carried away? I told my birds about him. I told them how he used to, to beat poor Timmy. And they said they'd carry him off and drop him over the cliffs. <laughs> and, and, and that's what they did. Because he never came back again. Oh, Lord, here comes Harry, Sir George's brother. Now there'll be trouble. Timmy, you'd better run. Oh, oh no. No, Timmy can't run. He'll break his pretty blue egg. Timmy! Timmy! Get off my land. If I catch you here again, I'll take my riding crop for you. Timmy hasn't done anything. Go on, be off with you, do you hear? I'll tell my birds about you. That's what I'll do. Oh, don't forget my bonfire. Infernal scoundrel. Hello, Whitnell. Oh. Hello, Harry. Uh, have you met uh, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson? Oh, Sherlock Holmes, the professional nosy Parker, eh? Yes, yes, Helena was just telling me about you. I'm very angry with her for talking to you about my brother. It's a private affair, and I intend it should remain one. You understand, Holmes? Well, upon my soul... The devil with your brother, sir, and with you. I'd advise you to remember that you're not addressing a half-witted villager who can't defend himself. If you know what's good for you, you'll do what I say. Here, Chris. Impertinent brute. He spoke to you as if you were a stable boy, Holmes. Oh, oh, really? He was quite refreshing. I'm reminded of an apposite quotation of my young friend James Elroy Flecker. Thine impudence have a monstrous beauty likened to the hindquarters of an elephant. Yeah. He's almost as much disliked as his brother before him. Uh, tell me, does he succeed to the title when his brother is declared legally dead? Oh, yes. And what's more, he's Helena's unofficial fiancé, worse luck. I see. Uh, personally, I'm beginning to get a trifle bored with the affairs of the Clavering family. Let's go on to the Lime Cave, shall we? We must be 50 feet below the level of the ground, aren't we, Whitnell? Well, more than that, I should say. Rock formation is most unusual, a series of caves connected by a veritable honeycomb of tunneling. Yes, yes, sir. I, I think I'll light the lantern now. It's getting darker in here, and I haven't explored this particular cave before. Yes, I've uh, had a wall cave in on me a couple of times, so you'd better watch where you're walking. Uh, there. Now we can see better. Let's go deeper, shall we? Uh, but do watch your step. Hmm. It's eerie down here, isn't it? Hello. Hello, what's this in the crevice here? It looks like a mummified bird of some kind. It is a beautiful specimen. Judging by its markings, a black streak here and bars of white in the tail, I'd say it was a peregrine. That's exactly what it is, a falcon. Dating back a couple of hundred years, I should say. And in a perfect state of preservation. Oh, this is a treasure, but... Uh, come on, uh, let's explore deeper. There's be another cave over here. If you hold the lantern up a little, I'll... Uh... Oh, I see. Good Lord, the, the whole wall's collapsed. Watson, you're not hurt, are you? No, 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 Holmes, I'm all right. Why, you've unearthed another cave, Dr. Watson. Uh, uh, let's go in. I, I think we can just manage to crawl through. I you. Great Scott, I, I don't believe my eyes. Magnificent. Whitnell, this is a treasure indeed. A 
A perfectly preserved body dressed in 18th century costume, powdered with an all. Yes. And there's no mistaking who it is. Look at that typical beat profile. It's a clavering, and it isn't hard to identify which one. Uh, you mean the one that Lady Helena told us about this afternoon? Exactly. Without doubt, this is the body of Sir Nigel Clavering, who disappeared in 1777. Uh, let's search his pockets. We might find some identification. Yeah, uh, uh, here's a snuff box of the period, and some coins. Yes, the inscription of George III is still visible on them. Hello, here's, here's his diary. This is unbelievable. What are you up to, Holmes? We're examining the body, Watson. This man was murdered. Murdered? With this wound just above the heart. Obviously inflicted with a sharp instrument, probably a dagger. This is interesting. An entirely new experience for me. The opportunity of solving an unsuspected murder committed well over a hundred years ago. Glance through that, Daddy Watson, will you, old chap? Let's see if the poor devil suspected his fate. Mm. Rather hard to read. All the S's look like F's. The peculiarity of the 18th century writing. They are feying. Oh, I suppose it means saying. They are feying in the coffee houses that my brother Harry hath been coveting my wife. But this is amazing, Holmes. See how history repeats itself. It's an exact parallel of the situation existing today. Harry is coveting his brother's wife, Helena, and Sir George has not been seen for five years. What an extraordinary incident. If it were one, as it is, it's one of the most ingenious frauds I've ever seen. The clothing appears authentic, so do the coins and the faded ink, the paper of the diary, and due to the peculiar mummification of the body, it would be almost impossible to say how long it's been here. Nevertheless, I am convinced that this is a recent corpse, and undoubtedly that of Sir George Clavering. Well, what makes you so sure, Holmes? Writing in the diary. 18th century, used an S. It looked like an F, it is true, but never at the end of a word. You will recall, Watson, that you were reading H-A-F, half, for H-A-S, half. That's perfectly true, I was. Well, that would be incorrect and genuine 18th century writing. No, obviously, this is an extremely clever attempt to disguise the comparatively recent murder of Sir George Clavering. It's incredible, Holmes. And yet I believe you're right. I'm sure of it. Well, what are you going to do about it? Do? You and I, old chap, will mount guard over the body. You, my dear Whitnall, if you don't mind, will be good enough to go and fetch the police. Holmes. Yes, old chap? What do you suppose is keeping the police? Whitnall must have gone over an hour. And the lantern with him. Here we are, crouching in the dark in a smelly cave, 50 feet under the cliffs, with a mummified corpse. Very true, Watson, but I don't. Uh-huh. Here comes the lantern. It must be Whitnell and the police. Whitnell! That you, Whitnell? That lantern's blinding me. Is that you, Whitnell? Answer, can't you? Look out, Watson! Dr. Watson's story will continue in just a second. And I'm going to take that second to ask you what you think of when I say good food. When you say good food to me, I can see myself really going down on a piece of fried chicken, but 
but really fried. You know, crisp and sort of a light brown. And when I see that chicken, I sure want to see some Petri California Sauterne. Because, believe me, Petri Sauterne is a white wine that's the wine for chicken. That Petri Sauterne has a delicate kind of flavor. Delicate like its pale gold color. But what a flavor and what a wine. If you want a swell white wine, you certainly want Petri Sauterne. Try it and see. And now, back to Dr. Watson and tonight's story, The Case of the Out-of-Date Murder. Well, Doctor, you certainly had me on the edge of my chair during the first part of the story. Oh, I'm glad of that, my boy. Say, what happened when Sherlock Holmes yelled out at you in the case? I was struck from behind with a spade and knocked out. A second later, the same thing happened to Holmes. You see, we were blinded by the lantern and couldn't protect ourselves. When we came to, we found we were at the bottom of a pit. The walls were narrow and vertical, and I saw no earthly way of our getting out of the trap. But as usual, Holmes had something up his sleeve. Oh, my, my head's throbbing. Never mind that for the moment, old chap. Get the coat off in your shirt. Oh, well, oh, come on, come on, right, off with it, huh? old boy. Come on, off with it. I, I've already removed mine and tied them together. Oh, what for? Oh, dear me, that blow on your head must have been unusually severe. I'm trying to make a kind of rope, Watson, a rope to get us out of here. Oh, what's the good of a rope unless there's someone on the ledge above us to haul us out? But you think you're performing the Indian rope trick. Is My dear it? Watson, this is no time for your rather heavy-handed humor. Why do you keep whistling like that? You've been doing it for the past 20 minutes. I'm whistling for help. Well, why not shout? Whistle carries further. Oh, dear. Who's going to hear that? That, Timmy, I hope. Remember, he was having a bonfire on the tip-tops tonight. My whistle is that of a nightingale, a song unheard in Sussex at this time of the year. If it does answer it, I'm sure it'll bring him down here. Oh, dear. Well, I hope you're right. Seems to me that Whitnell and the police will never find us here. We shall mummify, just as a filthy murderer intended us to. Courage, Watson, I'm sure... It's worked! It's Timmy! Cutting a burning log. We're down here, Timmy! Nightingale? Pretty birdie. What are you doing down there? Timmy! I've tied these clothes together to make a rope. I'm going to throw them up. You ready? Catch! Good. He's caught it. Now, Timmy, lower it to us. Oh, I shouldn't do this. They'll whip me? No, no, no. Nobody will whip you, Timmy. And we both want to give you a shilling to come up and see your bonfire. Oh, oh, that's different. Two shiny shillings. I'll lower the rope. Here it comes. Ah, that's it. All right, I'll throw You first. All right, Timmy, pull away. Right, here we go. Splendid. I'm up, Holmes. Now lower it for you. All right. I've got it. Look out now. Here I come. Ah. Uh, oh, thank goodness we got out of that place all right. I don't see the nightingale. Oh, oh, you must have him inside your coat. Well, well, never mind. We'll all go up to my bonfire and get warm. It's such a pretty bonfire. T. 
Did you ever see a finer bonfire? Now, look, Timmy, it's lovely. It's the most comforting sight I've seen for the last couple of hours. Oh, just one thing's bad, though. Somebody tried to burn a book in my lovely fire. Must have been when I was off getting more wood. I, I found it when I came back, and I pulled it out of the fire and stamped on it. See, here it is. Uh, let's have a look. Hello, it's the guy that we found on the body in the lime pit. Precisely, Watson. Now I begin to see daylight. People shouldn't burn books. Books are nice. Books are like birds and, and bonfires. Well, they're nice to be near. Oh, oh, your nightingale must be cold. I'll get some more twigs to burn. Well, now that that fellow's gone away for a moment, I can see why we were attacked tonight. The murderer knew that we were going to, to the caves. He was afraid that his devilish plot wouldn't stand up under your scrutiny. So he, he watched us. When we discovered the body and sent Whitnell off for the police, he knew that he'd got to get rid of us. And who do you think that somebody is, old fellow? Well, that's easy. Only one person strong enough to have knocked us both out and shifted our bodies. The dead Sir George's brother, Harry Clavering. I think not, old fellow. Didn't you observe as we entered the caves that pickaxes and wheelbarrows were much in evidence? Yes, that's, uh, that's right. They, they were, of course. Strength was not required under the circumstances. We were extremely vulnerable in the darkness. Any man with a modicum of cunning could have disposed of us, or any woman, for that matter. Good Lord, you're, you're not oh, suggesting that... Uh... Watson! Oh, what no! Why, thank heaven you're safer. I've had the police with me for the last hour, but we couldn't find you. You went where I left you. True. Uh, Whitnell, I want you and the police to take me to Lady Clavering's house at once. After that, I wish to lodge information and make a charge of assault and possibly a charge of murder. Lady Clavering is the story of how we found your husband's body. Oh, it's horrible, Mr. Holmes. Horrible. But who in thunder could have planned such a devilish plot? Yeah, why did the murderer attack you and Watson? There, my dear Whitnell, you have the key to the murderer's identity. The man who so cunningly conceived and executed the murder of Sir George could never have bungled the job of disposing of Watson and myself unless he had meant to bungle it. You mean he didn't mean to kill us? Exactly. He merely wished us out of the way while the incriminating evidence was removed. You mean the diary? Of course I do. You will recall we found it partially burnt in Timmy's bonfire. Then it was Timmy who... No, 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 my dear fellow. Surely it's obvious one person and only one. Knew that the diary was the key to the murderer's identity. The man who was present when we discovered it and detected the fraud. Great Scott, Professor Whitnell. Whitnell, you murdered my brother. Evan. Evan, you? Oh, no. I did it because I love you, Helena. All these years has been nothing in my life that meant anything but you. How could you? I thought that if George were out of the way, I could make you care for me. Then when I realized that you loved Harry, I, I was mad with jealousy. And so I planned to conceal George's body forever. It was a clever plan. You said so yourself, Holmes. If it hadn't been for you, it would have worked. Yes, it was diabolically clever, Whitnall, but I'm afraid that no amount of cleverness now can prevent you from paying for your crime. Sir George... I suggest that you instruct the police to come in. Our work is done. Holmes, Holmes, look there on the point. Timmy's bonfire is still burning away. Yes. Timmy's a simple fellow with simple tastes. Why are you so gloomy? You solved the case brilliantly. My dear fellow, my... My faith in human nature has been sadly shaken, old chap. 
Evan Whitnell was a good friend and an old one. Hard to be instrumental in sending him to the gallows. Well, he richly deserved yes, it. Yes, yes, I know he did. That's quite true, but it's depressing just the same. Come on. Let's continue our walk home across the downs. I heard Sir Harry offering you a fee. Did you take it? No, I didn't, but I did accept his offer of an acre of land on the downs over there near the Abbey Ruins. You can see them silhouetted against the sky. An acre of land? What on earth would you do with that? Well, when I retire, and I shall retire soon, I've often thought of bee farming. This would be a heavenly spot for such a venture. Well, I can't imagine you as a beekeeper. Well, why not? After a life spent unraveling the tangled affairs of human beings, it would be soothing in the twilight of one's days to study the exact and predictable behavior of bees. Singing masons... Building roofs of gold. Oh, well. One day, perhaps. Perhaps. One day. Well, Doctor, that was a swell story. You know, I'm sure glad we get together like this once a week. Oh, thank you very much. Next week, why not come over a little earlier for dinner? Oh, no, I, I wouldn't think of having you go through all that trouble. Oh, well, of course, if you feel that way. Well, say, aren't you going to coax me? <laughs> well, to tell you the truth, I, I knew I wouldn't have to coax you. Mr. Bartell, I was just going to show you the two thick steaks that I've got frozen in my refrigerator. Oh, no. Oh, yes. I'll also put aside a bottle of Petri Burgundy. Well, in which case, I'll bring along a very hearty appetite. If you pick the steak, I know it's good, and when it's Petri wine, you know that's got to be good, too. Because the Petri family has been making fine wine for generations. They've owned and operated the Petri business ever since its inception, way back in the 1800s. During all that time, they've sure learned plenty about the fine art of turning luscious grapes into clear, fragrant, delicious wine. And they've been able to take this experience and hand it on down from father to son, from father to son. That's why, when you want a wine for any occasion, you can't go wrong with a Petri wine. Because Petri took time to bring you good wine. Now, Dr. Watson, what story do you have lined up for us next week? Well, now, let me see. Next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you an adventure that occurred to Holmes and me in the shadowy depths of the Limehouse District in London. It's a strange tale of death and terror. I call the story... The eyes of Mr. Layton. Well, Doctor, we'll be sure not to miss it. And meanwhile, don't you forget you promised to contribute to the National War Fund. National War Fund? Of course, Mr. Bartell. It's a must. The money you give to your war fund not only helps the men and women in our armed forces, and it not only helps our allies, but that money goes to work right in your own community, helping make possible many relief and welfare agencies in your own hometown. So let's all be generous in victory. Give to your community war fund. Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and is based on an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Adventure of Wisteria Lodge. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. The Petri family took the time to bring you such good wine. So when you eat and when you cook, remember Petri wine. To make good food taste better, remember... Pet, pet, Petri wine.
This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petri family. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. So Arthur Conan Doyle never revealed how Holmes came to own his bee farm on the Sussex Downs. This wonderful touch at the end of the case adds a little extra to the original stories and seemed to please the Sherlock Holmes aficionados when it was broadcast. But I'm Ben Wright. In a moment, I will present you with another new adventure of Sherlock Holmes. In the eyes of Mr. Layton, the story fairly drips with atmosphere, especially with Dr. Watson's vivid descriptions of the foul alleyways and dark and dangerous smoke-filled opium dens of Limehouse. It is some of the best of dramatic radio's way with the listener's imagination. Basil Rathbone has always been underestimated as a fine character actor. Although he was more than happy to be a leading man in films and on the stage, it is such disguised characters as those he portrays in the eyes of Mr. Layton that gave people a chance to see his true range as an actor. It was Rathbone's intense desire to stretch his acting ability in other areas that made him decide to leave the series much to the dismay of Nigel Bruce. And Nigel Bruce was extremely easygoing and a great fun-loving prankster quite beloved by all who knew him. He adapted easily to any role he played and especially loved the part of Dr. Watson, even though he himself knew that the good doctor was not at all like the person he portrayed in the Sherlock Holmes films or the radio series. It doesn't seem to matter, for Bruce's interpretation of Dr. Watson has been accepted and embraced by the public. It's interesting to note that Rathbone, by his very nature, was not unlike Sherlock Holmes. Rathbone's clipped tones and natural logic added to the picture of Holmes, and Bruce's casualness and his loyalty to Rathbone was much like Dr. Watson's attitude to Holmes. At the end of the 1945 radio season, Basil Rathbone was offered a very lucrative seven-year contract to continue as the great detective. He turned down the offer, and when Rathbone left the series, Bruce went on for only one more season as Dr. Watson to a Sherlock Holmes portrayed by Tom Conway. But it wasn't the same, and Bruce graciously bowed out of the series after that. At least thanks to the discovery of these long-lost radio shows, we can once again listen to Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce at the top of their acting ability portraying the world's most famous detective and his loyal companion. Now, if you will, join me as we listen to The Eyes of Mr. Layton. This episode from the life of Sherlock Holmes will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, 
invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting story about his good friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And I'd like to tell you something that maybe you already know. The fact that America's favorite wine is port wine. Did you know that? If you didn't, you'll know why port is the way out front favorite if you'll just sample some Petri California port. You just look at that Petri port and you know it's good. That wonderful, deep, rich red color. And Petri port is so clear. Just hold it to the light and you can sort of see right through the glass. But what you want to know really about a wine is how does it taste? And I'll tell you something. I've never yet been able to find the adjective that'll do Petri Port justice. It's wonderful, honest. You've just got to taste it for yourself and find out for yourself. You'll love that Petri Port in the evening after dinner when you're sitting around listening to the radio. And it's perfect to serve your friends when they come over. You can show them that Petri label, too. In fact, you can show it proudly because the name Petri is the proudest name in the history of American wines. And now for our weekly doctor's visit. Let's see. No, 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 Mr. Bartell. Don't say let's see if he's expecting us. You know I always expect you at this time on Monday evenings, my boy. So draw up your usual chair and settle down. Thanks, doctor. Ah, oh, that's it. Ah, all alone this evening, doctor? Where are the puppies? Out on the patio. They had a most unfortunate encounter with a dead seal on the beach this afternoon. In consequence, they're a little uh, malodorous, shall we say. <laughs> In that case, Doctor, perhaps we'd better change the subject. So, suppose I ask you about tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure. Well, my boy, as I told you last week, the story took place in the foul alleyways of Limehouse. It was there on a foggy December evening in 1890 that my story began. An old friend and patient of mine, Isa Whitney, had disappeared, and his distraught wife had come to me for help. Knowing the man to be the victim of the shocking habit of taking opium... I suspected that I might find him in one of the vile dens inhabited by the dregs of the waterfront. And so, Mr. Bartell, about five o'clock on that December evening, I began my search. After an hour of fruitless wanderings, I found myself in a vile alley called Upper Swandham Lane. I could hear the distant moans of the riverboats as I walked, eyes alert, and hand on the revolver in my coat pocket. <laughs> Suddenly, I saw a steep flight of steps leading down to a black gap like the mouth of a cave. I walked down them. The steps were worn hollow in the center by the ceaseless tread of stumbling feet. I reached the bottom. A door faced me and above it, a frickling oil lamp winked warnings at me. I found the latch and lifted it. The door squeaked open protestingly. And I entered. There was a tinkle of Chinese wind bells as I walked towards a long, low room. A strange sight met my eyes. Through the gloom, thick and heavy with the brown opium smoke, I saw that the room was terraced with wooden berths, like the forecastle of an emigrant ship. Out of the shadows, there glimmered little red circles of light, now bright, now faint, as a burning poison waxed or waned in the metal pipes. Bodies lay in strange, fantastic poses, bowed shoulders, 
bent knees, heads thrown back. The attendant came up to me with a pipe and beckoned me to an empty berth. I haven't come here to smoke your filthy drug. I'm looking for a friend, Mr. Isa Whitney. No, Mr. Whitney here. Oh, I'm going to search the place. You must not disturb the priest. I'm carrying a revolver, so you'd better not argue with me, my good man. Out of the way. I searched that filthy den, but found no trace of my missing friend. As I was leaving in despair, a long shaking hand reached out and plucked at my sleeve. I turned, and there sprawled in a berth was the wreckage of a man. His gaunt face yellow and twitching, his clothes filthy and ragged, and the pupil of his eyes like pinpoints. He spoke to me in a thin, quavering voice. For heaven's sake, get me out of here. Now, look here, my man. Don't say you won't help me, Governor. Ain't you got no heart? Please help me, Governor. Take me out of here. Strike me pink, I'm going to bomb me, I tell you. Oh, what must you expect if you indulge in this filthy habit? Take me out of here, Governor. I'll go straight this time. Cross me out, I will. Oh, very well. Come along with me. I suppose it's my duty to help you. Ah, oh, bless you, Governor. Here, you are. here now, give me your arm. You cannot take him away. He owe me money. That's a bleeding lie. I paid him when I come in, I did. He cannot go with you, mister. You remember what I said about my revolver, you blackguard? If I have any more trouble with you, I'll, I'll fetch the police. Come along. He owe me money. He owe me money. Infernal scoundrel owe me money. Tell him all proper, Governor. And off you didn't. Now, look here, my good man. I'll give you a square meal, some advice, and some medical attention. But the rest Never mind I... the advice, Watson, but I'll take you up on that square meal. Holmes! Yes, I'm very glad to see you, old fellow. What brought you to that filthy den of iniquity? Oh, this is me. I want to find a friend. And I, an enemy. <laughs> Your disguise is wonderful. It completely fooled me. But I'm afraid the proprietor was beginning to penetrate it. That's why I staged the little rescue scene. Had I been recognized, my life wouldn't have been wor worth an hour's purchase. Well, how long had you been there? Why were you there? Come on, Holmes, tell me all about it. With pleasure, old chap. But first, let's find a, a chop house. I want that square meal you promised me. Excellent meal, Watson. Yes, you're surprisingly good for such a shoddy-looking place. Well, Holmes, now perhaps you'll tell me what you were doing in that opium den. I've already told you my story. I'm shadowing a most unusual criminal, a man who haunts the opium dens, and yet I know that he himself is not an addict. Well, I don't see anything very criminal about that. He might be looking for a thrill, or perhaps he's one of those writer fellows or something. But this man pretends to be an addict. I watched him closely. He fakes his smoking, and grease paint has enabled him to simulate the characteristic pallor of a drug victim. He even affects the typical mannerism of nose-scratching, but it's his eyes that give him away. Well, the pupils are wide open, I suppose. Exactly, old fellow. Whereas, if he were really addicted to the drug, they would, as you know, be contracted. I myself always treat my eyes with a special, well, a special kind of drop on the occasion when, uh, well, I have to enter these dens. Well, why does a man haunt an opium den in order not to smoke? That, my dear Watson, is the problem that I intend to solve. Well, perhaps the fellow's a policeman or a private detective like yourself, Holmes. I've already checked on those possibilities. No, Watson, I believe there is only one answer. I believe the man is planning a murder. A murder? It's a tempting setting for a murder. Your victim is an addict, drugged and helpless. Your witnesses and are in an equal state of befuddlement. The proprietor is anxious to cover up the crime because of the police. But you. Yes, Holmes. Now, the question is, who is the intended victim? That, my dear Watson, is why I've been shadowing this man. Unfortunately, he was not present in the den we just left. 
but I intend to continue my search. Holmes, uh, can, can I help you? My, my wife's away, you know. You know, it's a long time since we were on a case together. I should be delighted, my dear chap. I've missed you sadly during the past few months. And I, you, Holmes. What's the next move? Back to Baker Street, old fellow. My disguise is wearing thin, and I must contrive a new one. New disguise, eh? Well, which one shall it be, Watson? Well, how about the old flower seller? <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> well, it's... Pretty fresh, yes, right. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 my dear fellow, no. Hardly appropriate for an opium dinner. In any case, the clothes are so wretchedly uncomfortable. Well, how about the music hall singer? Oh, that chap, yes. Oh, I don't want to be beside the seaside. Oh, I don't want to be beside the sea. I don't want to stroll along the prom, prom, prom where the brass band plays tiddly um. Oh, confound it. Who can that be? You weren't expecting anyone, were you? No. Oh, this is just like the old days. The doorbell ringing, Mrs. Hudson toddling off and bringing up some poor devil in trouble and... You say that rather wistfully, old fellow. Don't tell me that you repent of marriage. No, of course not, Holmes. Mary's a perfect darling and I couldn't be happier. Just the same. <laughs> it is rather fun to be back here again. Come in. Yes, Mrs. Hudson? Uh, it's a gentleman, sir. He gave me this card. Says he's very anxious to see you. Hmm. Wayne J. Layton, President, Layton Corporation, Chicago, United States. Ask him to come up, will you, Mrs. Hudson? Aye, sir. Well, it's quite the cold times to see you back here, Dr. Watson. That's just what I was saying myself, Mrs. Hudson. Hmm. Mr. Layton has scribbled a message on the back of this card. If a thousand pounds for a week's work interests you, you'll see me. A thousand pounds? Big fish, Watson. Very big fish. Uh, this way, sir. Uh, thank you. Oh. How do you do, Mr. Layton? I guess you're Sherlock Holmes. You guessed correctly, sir. Excuse me. Oh, Mrs. Hudson, just a moment, Mrs. Hudson. Aye, Mr. Holmes. Sit down, won't you, Mr. My name's Watson, Dr. Watson. I'm Sherlock Holmes's colleague. Uh, yes, I've, I've heard about you, too. Uh, like a cigar, Doctor? It's a good one. Sent me back three shillings. Oh, three shillings? Oh, thank you. That's very nice. Just put one. Oh, oh I see. Excuse yourself. <laughs> Splendid. And now, Mr. Layton, may I ask what brings you here? I'll talk fast and to the point. I'm a businessman. I like to do things in a business way. I have a chance to control the guano deposits at the Republic of San Pedro. Their minister will be in London tomorrow, and if it weren't for one thing, I know that I could swing the deal and get the concession. And what is that one thing, Mr. Layton? The deal is secrecy. I thought no one knew about it, but when I got here, I found out that my biggest business rival has gotten wind of what's going on. He's an Englishman. I've never met him, but uh, he's right here in London. Now, I'm not going to tell you his name, not until you give me your word that you'll work for me. Just what you wish me to do, Mr. Layton. Get this rival of mine and keep him out of circulation for a week. I don't care how you do it, and I won't ask. In a week's time, I'll give you the other half of this 500 pounds I brought with me. Oh, good, Scott. What kind of... Uh, Watson, give you... Mr. Layton his hat and gloves. That's it. Thanks, old fellow. Goodbye, sir. Uh, what are you doing, throwing me out? I can't think where you uh, gathered the impression that I indulged in kidnapping. Once again, goodbye, sir. And here, sir, you can take back your cigar. Well, if you don't want some easy money, I'll soon find someone else that does. This is the last you'll see of me, Mr. Holmes. Life is full of little consolations. Hmm. Some people seem to think that money can... Watson, the game's afoot. Mr. Layton is the man I've been seeking. The man who pretends to be an opium smoker. Why, Baze, did you let him get away? Here, I'll go after him. No, 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 don't worry. I've already arranged for that. Oh, how? When I left the room just now to talk to Mrs. Hudson, I was intending to tell her to summon some of my band of street urchins. You know, the Baker Street Irregulars. 
when she informed me that half a dozen of them were in the kitchen at this very moment, partaking of one of her incomparable steak and kidney pies. The rest should be obvious. You left instructions for one of them to shadow Mr. Layton when he left her? Elementary, my dear Watson. Oh, don't tell me that Layton back again. No, I think not. I should say that at the moment he's just about to walk out of the front door. No, I think we shall have another visitor. And judging by the commotion, the incoming and the outgoing visitors know each other and are not on the best of terms. Well, it sounds to me as if they're having a fight. Here comes Mrs. Hudson to tell us about it. Come in, come in. Oh, Mr. Holmes, you've got another visitor. Uh, so I gathered. Mrs. Hudson, you gave my instructions to one of the boys? I did that, sir. Young Wiggins was going to follow the gentleman. Well, Mrs. Hudson, what was all that commotion about downstairs just now? Oh, it was the two gentlemen shouting at each other. Him that was leaving and the one that was waiting on the doorstep. And who is our new visitor, Mrs. Hudson? Here's his cards. Oh, thank you. Linton Chumley, 9 Belgrave Square. Well... Ask him to come up, will you, Mrs. Hudson? Very well, Mr. Holmes. Oh, one thing more. Yes, sir. Uh, please instruct another of the Baker Street Irregulars to follow this Linton Chumley when he leaves here and report to me. All right, sir. Hmm. You're taking no chances, Holmes, eh? You're having this fellow shadow, too. Leighton is a potential murderer. Of that, I'm convinced. This Mr. Chumley might possibly be his intended victim. While we are talking to him, Watson, old fellow, I want you to be sure to look at the condition of his eyes. Yeah, I certainly will. Come in. Oh, good evening, Mr. Chumley. Are you Mr. Sherlock Holmes? I am. This is my colleague, Dr. Watson. How do you do, sir? Uh, that was Wayne Layton that was just left here, uh, wasn't it? Uh, won't you sit down, sir? Uh, thank you. I don't want to sit down. All right, you needn't answer my question, but I know it was Layton. I've never met him, but I've seen his picture in the newspapers. Oh, very well, then, sir. It was Wayne Layton. Ah, I know why he came to you. He's, he's trying to have me put out of the way while he closes that deal on the San Pedro and Guana concession. Now, look here, Holmes. You've got to be on my side. Whatever fee he offered you to dispose of me, I'll double it if you'll take care of him for a few days. Oh, dear me, this is becoming monotonous. Watson? The hat and gloves? Thank you, old chap. That's right. Good night, Mr. Chumley. Uh, look here, Holmes. I'll, I'll treble his fee. I'll quadruple it. My dear Mr. Chumley, I have accepted no fee from Mr. Layton. I don't propose to accept one from you. Your hat and glove, sir. Uh, that man is out to kill me, Holmes. Well, if you won't help me, I'll go to the police. That's an excellent idea, Mr. Chumley. Again, good night. Did you notice his eyes, Watson? Yes, the pupils were contracted. He's obviously an opium addict. And also a potential corpse. Well, what do we do now? Wait for the irregulars to report? No, you'll return home for your medical bag. I have a feeling that you'll need it before the night is out. Then come back here. If I've gone before you return, I'll send one of the irregulars to bring you to wherever I may be. Wait until you receive a message from me. On your way, old chap. There's work ahead of us. <laughs> Wiggins, you're certain that this is the place that Mr. Holmes told you to bring me to? Oh, yes, Dr. Watson. The corner of Swanham Line and Brixel Street, Mr. Holmes said. Yeah, well, this is the spot, all right. I don't see any sign of him. Hello? This old woman coming towards us. <laughs> so that's the disguise he chose. Oh, spare me a few coppers, will you, mister? <laughs> My feet hurt something awful, and I ain't had a bite of food all day. Oh, no. no, you don't, Holmes. You... Can't fool me this time. As a matter of fact, your makeup isn't very convincing. 
You hardly look like a woman, and nobody's nose could be quite as red as that. Don't look like a woman, don't I? <laughs> My nose is too red, is it? I'll take that. Uh, no, steady, look My there. My kind of poor old woman has plighted me. Uh, I, I'm sorry, me. madam, I, I didn't mean to insult you. <laughs> well, matey, she gave you a bit of work for all right, didn't she? Ah, box your ears. No mistake about it. You mind your own business. <laughs> and anyhow, why aren't you aboard your ship at this time of night? Because I'm not a sailor, Watson. It's Mr. Holmes. Great heavens, Holmes. I wish you, you wouldn't confuse me like this. I'd never have recognized you. My dear Watson, when you're able to recognize me, it will indeed be the beginning of the end. When your eagle eye penetrates my disguise, I shall realize that my retirement is imminent. But enough of this. See that house opposite? You mean the ramshackle place with the broken tiled roof? Yes, I gave the irregulars instructions to let me know at once if our two quarries ever enter the same house at the one time. They're inside there now, and I'm going in after them. Be careful, Holmes. I'd better come along with you. Can't I come too, Mr. No, Holmes? No, certainly not. Both keep watch outside. If I need any help, I'll smash one of the windows, and then you can come in after me. Wait here for me. I don't expect I'll be very long. I'll be here, Holmes. Don't worry about me. Just take good care of yourself. <laughs> One o'clock, Doctor. Yes, I know, Wiggins. He's been in there half an hour. I'm beginning to get worried. Start going off, No, no, sir. no, Wiggins. You know Mr. Holmes. When he gives orders, he likes some... There's a signal for help. Keep watching the house, Wiggins. I'll be out in five minutes. Go for the police. Right, sir, sir. All right, Holmes, all right. I'm coming. You have searched my house from basement to attic. Why do you not give up? I tell you again, there has been no one here tonight. But my friend came in here half an hour ago. I saw him, and before that, two other men are known to have come in here. Uh, if that is so, then where are they? Three men cannot vanish. That's just the point, you scoundrel. Out of the way. I'm going to search this hovel again. I'm not leaving here until I find Mr. Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> You'll hear the rest of Dr. Watson's story in just a second. And if you don't mind, I'll take that second to say just one word to the ladies. And that word is muscatel. Petri California muscatel. I want you women to know about it because Petri muscatel is one wine that practically every woman likes. Maybe because it's such a beautiful color, like pale gold. But I guess really because Petri Muscatel brings you the wonderful flavor of luscious, sun-ripened Muscat grapes. And that's a flavor. Try Petri Muscatel after dinner, or any time as a change from Petri Port. Remember, if it's a Petri wine, you know it's a good wine. And now back to Dr. Watson and tonight's story, The Eyes of Mr. Layton. Well, what happened next, Doctor? When you searched the house for the second time, did you find any trace of Sherlock Holmes or the two rival businessmen? No, Mr. Bartell, I'm afraid I didn't. What did you do? I told Wiggins to report the matter to the nearest police station and then rattle back to Baker Street in a handsome cab as fast as I could. When I arrived at the old familiar doorstep, I wrenched at the bell in a frenzy of anxiety. Finally, the door opened. And there stood Mrs. Hudson. Dr. Watson, what is it, sir? Why, oh, you're as white as a ghost. Mr. Holmes, 
Is he here? Aye, sir. Came in half an hour ago. He was dressed as a sailor and was half carrying some drunken friend of his. Oh, thank heavens he's safe. I'll go up. All right, sir. I want to know, chap. There you are. Holmes, I can't tell you how glad I am to see you. Who's that, uh, that lying on the sofa? Well, up with your back, Watson. Though I'm afraid the poor devil's done for. Great Scott, it's Wayne Layton, the American fella. With a knife wound between his ribs. See what you can do for him, will you? Right. This is extraordinary, Holmes. You said that Layton was a potential murderer. And now he's a victim himself. The biter bit, eh, old chap? Yes, he's still breathing, but he, he hasn't a chance. I'll try him with an injection of strychnine. Holmes, how did you get his body out of the house? I, I searched the place from top to bottom. I... I found no trace of any of you. When I went in, I found the stabbing had already taken place. The proprietor then bribed me, or rather the broken-down cellar he took me for, to smuggle the body out through the secret stairway leading to the wards of the back of the house. Well, there's no trace of Chumley there? No, he must have left before me by the same exit. Well, then you smashed the window and bolted. Yes, I knew that I could count on you to hold the fort while I was getting the body away. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Try to say something, Watson. I, yes, the injection's uh, beginning to take effect. Uh, yes, Mr. Layton? Uh, what are you trying to say? Tell us, who stabbed you, uh, sir? Shh, shh, shh. Lips are moving. Mandalay. He's dead, Holmes. Yes, but he gave us the clue to the murderer's identity. How? In the word he mumbled just before he died. It sounded to me as if he said Mandalay. Precisely, old fellow. Never did a corpse give us a clearer instruction as to our next and final move. And that is? Back to Limehouse, Watson. Back to Limehouse. Now, here we are. This must be the place. What's this? Another opium den? Yes, I knew that since Chumley refrained from smoking earlier on in the night in order to keep his faculties alert for murder, that an enormous reaction would set in. He'd have to find a den at once, and beyond question, a different one from that in which the murder was committed. But how do you know that he's inside here? Well, just before you returned to Baker Street tonight, I had a message from one of my regulars. He tracked him here after he escaped from the scene of the stabbing. That was a couple of hours ago. He might have slipped away again. No, Watson, tonight he came to drown his senses with a wretched drug. He'll be here. Come on. Second injection of caffeine should bring him round. He's heavily drugged, but I think it'll work. Surprising what a five-pound note will do, isn't it? Yes, the proprietor let us bring Chumley into his private room and he... <laughs> Look, he he's coming too. Who, who, who are you? Who, what, what do you want? You remember me, sir? I'm Sherlock Holmes. Oh, uh, yes, yes, I, I remember you. You're in serious trouble, Mr. Chumley. Very serious trouble. Uh, trouble? What, what trouble? Wayne Layton didn't die. Oh. He's badly wounded, but he's going to live. He's at Baker Street now. He wants to go to the police and give evidence. You, you've got to get me out of this, Holmes. I'll, I'll pay you anything. Uh, Ten thousand, twenty thousand. Why did you stab Layton? He, he was in my way. I wanted the San Pedro concession. I, I meant to kill him. But we can fix it up now, can't we, Holmes? 
We can fix it up yes, now. Yes, we can fix it beautifully, sir. As neat a murder confession as ever I listened to, Holmes. Exactly. Come along, Mr. Chumley. I think some night air will be good for you. We'll take you for a nice drive to Scotland Yard. <laughs> some kippers, gentlemen. You've both been up all night, and I'm sure you can do it. That's very thoughtful of you, Mrs. Hudson. Yes, indeed it is. Uh, what is Mrs. Watson going to say when she finds you've been out all night? Oh, don't you worry about that, Mrs. Hudson. She's very understanding. <laughs> it's lucky for you that she is. Well, I'll go and leave you to your breakfast. Holmes. Yes, dear fellow? There's only one thing that puzzles me about this case. Oh, what's that? When Leighton was dying, he muttered the word Mandalay. How did that give you the key to the murderer's identity? Oh, the dead American had never met Mr. Chumley, you remember, except when they bumped into each other in our hallway. Yes, he told us that he recognized him from the newspaper photographs. Being an American, he had no reason to know that the name Chumley is in no way pronounced the way it is spelt. Oh, I never thought of that. Chumley. That name spelt C-H-O-L, Chow, M-O-N, Mon, D-E-D-E-L-E-Y. Chal Mondele. Mondeley. Precisely, old fellow. What you thought to be Mandalay was really Chal Mondeley, the name of the murderer. What an amazing case. You did a remarkable job, Holmes. <laughs> I'm, I'm beginning to be confoundedly sleepy. Why not sleep, old chap? Your old uh, woman's all ready for you. Are you going to take a nap? Oh, dear me, no. Hmm? I have much too busy a day ahead of me. Let me look at my engagement book. Uh, Baxter Square Murder. Mm-hmm. I've put the police on the track. The Duchess of uh, Ferrers. I've got her material. The princess who was about to run away from home. Good gracious me, let her run. The Pope's cameos. Ah, yes, yes. His Holiness must not be kept waiting. Uh, can, uh, can I help you again, Holmes? Uh, Mary doesn't return <laughs> until tomorrow. Well, I thought you were sleepy, old fellow. Sleepy rubbish. I never felt more wide awake in my life. <laughs> That was a swell story, Doctor. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And it was really funny when you mistook that old lady for Holmes and she slapped your face. It wasn't very funny <laughs> at all. I sure it was. Come on, admit it, Doctor. Well, she did look like Holmes in disguise, you know, and you would have made the same mistake that I did. Okay, okay. Her nose was ridiculously red and she did look like a man. Uh, look, Doctor, forget I ever said anything. Hmm? I won't say another word. I'll keep my mouth closed forever. Oh, come on, I wouldn't do that. Mr. Bartell? Mr. Bartell? Uh, won't you even open your mouth to uh, finish your wine? Your, your Petri wine? Okay, you win. You know I'll open my mouth for Petri wine anytime. That Petri wine is always good wine. And for good reason, too. The Petri family has always owned and operated the Petri business. They've been making fine wines for three generations, since way back in the 1800s. That adds up to a lot of experience. Experience handed on down from father to son, from father to son. The Petri family really knows how to turn luscious California grapes into fragrant, delicious wine. And that's why, no matter what kind of wine you want, I'm sure you'll like it better if it's a Petri wine. Because Petri took time to bring you good wine. And now, Dr. Watson, what story are you going to tell us next week? Well, now, next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you a most unusual adventure that Holmes and I had in the heart of the English countryside. 
It concerns a corpse, a missing revolver, and a beautiful girl who was frightened of her own shadow. Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and is based on an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Man with the Twisted Lip. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. The Petri family took the time to bring you such good wine. So when you eat and when you cook, remember Petri wine. To make good food taste better, remember... Pet, pet, Petri wine. This is Harry Bartell saying good night for the Petri family. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios... This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. The two episodes you have just heard, In Flanders Fields and The Eyes of Mr. Layton, are part of the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce, and are a 1988 copyrighted production of 221A Baker Street Associates. The Sherlock Holmes stories and the characters of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John H. Watson were created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and are used with the kind permission of Dame Jean Conan Doyle. I'm Ben Wright, and I hope you will join me again for more new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Thank you for listening.